We've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and we're in the middle of chapter 5 at verse 15. Let me pick up where, where we've been over the last uh, week or so. In Ephesians 5, verse 15, he tells us, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is so important because oftentimes we wrestle with, God, what is your will for my life? Well, he tells us right here. He tells us that we are to make the best use of our time. And if I'm to summarize where we've been over at least the last couple of weeks, uh, what I would do is I would say that we need to, in each day, do three things. These three things. Number one, to walk purely. He talks about how there are certain things that shouldn't even be named among us, and we'll examine that a little further as we walk along. But what he's, what he's saying is follow so closely behind Jesus that he is all that is seen. Not ourselves, not our sin, but Jesus. Secondly, I believe he would say to worship passionately. Choose to express your love for God in all that you do. Worship isn't something that we do on Sundays. Worship is something that should happen seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It should be what we live because worship means that we are living for the thing or the one that we value most. We're proclaiming God's worth. That's what worship is. And we can do that in every relationship, in every circumstance that we're in. It can all be worship. When we're focusing, when we're remembering, when we're reflecting the worth of God. But also here in these verses, it reminds us that we are to work purposefully. We're to make the best use of our time. We're to put our love for others into action, recognizing that God has created us for a purpose and we are to pursue it. We're to serve the Lord with all of our strength. Now, doing these three things, walking purely, worshiping passionately, and working purposefully, if we, if we listen with the wrong antenna, with the wrong reception in our mind, it can sound like things that we do. It can sound like a burden, but it is not. In fact, the, the message that I most want you to hear today is that it's not about duty, it is about a delight. That's why in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, he says, now where the Spirit of the Lord is, um, excuse me, now the Lord is, in, is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God wants you and I to experience incredible freedom, and it is found in delighting in him. Now, over, over the last few weeks, I've used some different props um, because that's just who, who God made me to be, and I'm sorry, but you have a weird pastor, and you'll just have to deal with it. One of the first props that I gave you was a coin. Anybody, maybe some of you actually hung on to it for a little while. Inside this balloon is a coin, and I gave everyone a coin. The coin represents whether it's one like this or the one that's in this balloon, everything God has entrusted to you, all your gifts, all your talents, all your passions, he's given that to you to use for a purpose, to pursue that purpose. And God has an intent for it, and it finds its fulfillment. In fact, we find our fulfillment when we use all that God has given us for him. The second 
little illustration that I used was a candle that I've been using for the last few weeks that's reminding us that God has chosen us to shine as light in the darkness of our world. We are to so reflect Jesus Christ and, and his truth and his grace that what others see is the light of Christ, the light of his love shining through all that we do. We've been given an incredible privilege to give hope to the hurting, to direct the lost, to show those who are broken the love of Christ. That's our calling, and it's beautiful. But in order to really do and, and use the gifts that we've been given and to shine the light that we are called to shine, it all stems out of one more thing, and that is instead of a coin or a candle, today's illustration is chocolate. Okay, so I knew, I knew everybody would be, be excited about that. So the prop today is an interactive prop. You get to, you get to use it. Um, if you happen to have nut allergies, some of these have hazelnut in them, some of these do. If it just says milk chocolate, it's just chocolate, okay? So I want you to go ahead and take a piece of chocolate. Um, and actually, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask, we're gonna pass it through the room, take a piece of chocolate, then pass it back. So you can have two, okay? Um, because we're not a huge crowd today. I'm going to ask my wife to take one of these up to the balcony. Sure. Thank you. One. Yeah, just one. And put one there. And I trust Henry more than I do oh. Carolina. So we'll do that. Here we go. Uh, and if you happen to be strange like me and you don't like chocolate, there's some shiny foil-wrapped ones that are toffees in there. Okay? So get it out. Just don't eat. That's chocolate. That's, that's a, like a truffle. Okay, all right. Now, the reason I gave you that is how many of you really enjoy chocolate? I mean, it's like, you know, if God could put his greatest blessings and compress them into one little thing, you would say chocolate. That's what it is. Here's, here's what I want you to do. If, if you think of chocolate in that way, I want you to ask this question. As much as I delight in chocolate, do I delight even more in God? Do I desire him? Have I tasted and seen that he is incredibly good, more good than I can imagine, better than the best Swiss chocolate ever made? Tasting of him is my delight. And if you desire something greater than chocolate, take that and ask that same question. Do I delight in God as much as I do in my Nintendo Switch? Sorry, Henry. <laughs> I mean, or what is it, you know, or, or my car, or in, whatever the thing is that gives you pleasure. God gave us those gifts to enjoy. That's, that's not the problem. The problem is they find their true fulfillment when he is our deepest desire, when he is the one that we delight in. Well, let's, with that in mind, let's look at this passage here in Ephesians 5. I want to read through it again, and hopefully I can bring out something that maybe you haven't noticed before. Ephesians 5, we're gonna pick up at the end of verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you want to know the will of God for your life, I just read it. He says very specifically, my will for you is for you to be filled with me. And that filling will have an overflow of worship that impacts others, that addresses others, that builds others up, but is done in such a way so that the melody is directed towards me. That's what he's calling us to do. And we're going to unpack that portion of it next week when we look more specifically about, about exactly what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But um, what I want you to see first is something very significant because when it says be filled with the Spirit, we need to start with an understanding that that is how you and I are created. You and I were made to be filled. And we're incomplete unless we're filled. But the truth is, oftentimes we try to fill our life with other things, things that can never ever be the delight of our soul. And I, I saw, I'm gonna jump ahead for the slides here, so just, just, you know, I saw a great example of this in the toy store um, yesterday. So how many of you are parents? Okay, now if you're a parent, you will, you will think back to when your child was young or, or maybe a teenager, it doesn't matter. And when you went into the store, um, whether it was a toy store or Tesco or whatever, there was always that one aisle, that one section where secretly you're thinking, I hope they don't go there. Because that particular aisle is, is filled with junk. And it's junk that's packaged so wonderfully that they're going to want the junk. Okay, and, and this really doesn't just apply to children. My, my taste now, my bad aisle, just happens to be electronics. Okay, so it's the same problem when we're an adult. But I saw this when I went in the toy store yesterday. I, I, went, I went looking for a prop, and I just couldn't bring myself to actually buy it because it was so bad. But it's a good illustration. I saw there on that aisle that I never wanted my children to go to, the aisle with the really junky stuff there in the toy store, I saw for the very first time Flaffuccino. Flaffuccino, there it is. Okay, Flaffuccino is slimy, sweet, non-edible junk. Every, how many of you want some? You know, you're going, see, I knew somebody would. Okay, so it's made to look, supposedly there's two colors inside this container, and it's fluffy slime. And, you know, slime's a big craze for, little, for kids, you know, and you, you squeeze it through your fingers and all this kind of stuff, and it's fun, and it makes sounds that, you know, like, sounds like body sounds and all those kind of things that just make it a wonder for children. Um, but here they've made slimy, sweet, but non-edible slime, fluff. And they package it and make it look, wow. I know <laughs> when I was a kid, I would have wanted it. I just, I'm just being dead honest. And I know our four children, all four of them, and I could have told you in what order or priority they would have wanted it. Even though it's just slime. It's just, and, and it's slime that looks like it's something you should eat or drink, but you can't. Now, the reason that I use that fluffuccino as an illustration is because in truth, we try to fill our lives. Oftentimes, the things that we desire are just fluffuccino. 
They may be better packaged. They may have some more useful things than this that we can do with it, but it will never, ever satisfy because what would happen is when your child or my child bought that Fluffuccino, chances are if, it was, if we went there in the car, um, it probably wouldn't make it home. It would be lost somewhere in the seats. And if they went on public transportation, it's probably still somewhere on a tram you know, stuck underneath a seat or, or whatever, and all the delight and joy that they thought it was going to bring quickly fades. That's the things of this world. But you see, God made us to be filled, but he gave us the proper filling, and that filling is the Holy Spirit. So let's go back and look at this verse. Ephesians 5, it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What God is saying is, I want you to indulge yourself in me. In using this illustration, this contrast between wine and drunkenness and the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is making a very powerful point. In Ephesus, it was, it was a city that had two primary gods in paganism. It had Artemis, who was, a, who was a god basically of sexuality, and he's already talked about how sexual immorality can lead you away from God. But the other God who was primary in their worship was the God named Bacchus. And Bacchus was the God of wine. And the way that you would worship Bacchus was to get drunk. That's, that's how you did it. You would drink to the, to the point where you were out of control, then you were worshiping Bacchus. But you see, the contrast that God is making here is he's saying there's two elements to what I'm talking about here. Number one, it's an issue of control. What is in control of your life? When a person was drunk and they were worshiping Bacchus, wine was in control. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, what is supposed to direct and control our life is God himself. But the second component of it is true as well. Wine is something that God allowed and created for us to be something that was a blessing that would make a heart merry. When it's not abused, when it's just used as God intended it, it makes the heart light. Because you see, God wants us to delight in him. He wants to bring you and I pleasure. But the problem is, we can often try to fill our life with things other than God, delights that do not truly satisfy, flaffuccino. And our desires, when they're not aligned with what God wants for us, and, and here's the thing, sometimes we have our, our view of God is that God wants to take away all the things that we think will be good. He does not. That is a distorted view of God. What God wants to do is to give you all of the things that will most satisfy. But if your life, if your heart is already filled with other things, there's no room for his spirit to come in and give you true, lasting delight. And so he's going to convict you and convict me of the things in our life that are keeping us from experiencing the delight he created us to experience in him. And so there are three things that oftentimes um, are in contrast. One is duty, another is desire, and the third is delight. And I want to start first with looking at 
the drunkenness of desire and how it always leads to depression. God made us with desires. He made us to crave. But when those desires, when we seek to fill them just with the things of this world, just with the things of the flesh, with the things um, that I want, when they're pursued, especially in excess, it leads to depression, discouragement. That's why you know, understand, we understand that when we pursue wine too um, excessively, it's a depressant, and the merriness that it's supposed to create turns quickly into a controlling depression that can overwhelm a person and take over their life. But God wants to fill us with that which is good. And so there's this contrast between duty, desires, and delight, because another area where we oftentimes misunderstand God is that we view God from the perspective of duty, that which I should do. And if I fail to do that, it produces a sense of defeat and leaves me feeling like I am unworthy. For many people, that's the viewpoint we have of God, is that we never, ever can measure up. Perhaps you've come out of a a religious background where you saw God as someone who was perfect, as he is, but also so demanding that you never, ever could measure up. And there's an element, even as Trevor mentioned before, there's an element where that's true. We're not worthy of God's love. But God loves us anyway and declares us in Christ Jesus completely worthy. So duty is a false sense. Does God deserve everything? Yes, because he is God. But we don't serve him out of a sense of duty. We serve him out of a sense of delight. When he becomes our delight, We can easily see God as a duty, or sometimes we see God as a competition to the other desires that we have. Because you see, we have duties, but also our desires are those things that I want, that my flesh, my selfishness wants. And my fleshly desires produce sin that wars against my soul. And there's a conflict in me between the things that old, as I often use, old dead Drew wants and the things that God wants. The secret isn't doing more duty. It isn't battling those desires. The secret is delight, is to learn that that which truly brings joy, refreshment, and satisfaction from God is his Holy Spirit living in us, of us having communion, connection with the Holy Spirit on a continual basis. Now, I start there rather than with how to be filled with the Holy Spirit because here's the, here's the absolute truth. Unless you really want God more than everything else, you're not gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll have the Holy Spirit in you because he's given to every believer when they trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but you will not have the fullness if you do not say, Lord, I give all that I am to you because you are my delight. You are my deepest desire. As long as there's competition in there, it will crowd out the space for the Holy Spirit to come and fill you because the Holy Spirit comes in a gentle way. 
When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, he gives his Holy Spirit to us to live in us. Our spirit becomes his home. But we need to clear out and make space for him to live. Just as you would if you invited a guest into your home, you would make a place for them. There has to be a place in our heart for the Holy Spirit to not only be but to take control and to be fully at home. A duty-driven life can lead to despair where we never measure up. A selfish desire-driven life leads to an emptiness and depression. But a delight-driven life leads to joy. I found this quote by Jonathan Dodson. It says this, and I, it, I so identified with it. He said, I have failed in countless ways to obey and honor Jesus. I have wandered the wasteland of religion in an attempt to earn the unearnable favor of God. I have chased the pleasures of the world in an attempt to satisfy my infinite longings with finite things. Neither the legalistic rules of religion nor the license from rules in worldly living have ever satisfied. You see, we can go either direction with that. We can try and put all kinds of rules and try to measure up, and we can be driven by duty. And what often happens is we become more and more empty, but at the same time, we become more and more judgmental of others. Or we can chase the things of the world and think that maybe that will satisfy us, but they too turn out to be empty. That's why you see so many who are what we would view in the eyes of the world as successful, as famous, where their lives crash and burn, even though they've got everything, it never, ever satisfies. Because you can't fill an infinite void with finite things. The only thing that fits is God. 2 Corinthians 3 says it this way. Who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant? Not the letter, not the law, but the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation of the law, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? Here's the thing we need to grab a hold of, it, and it's, it's the one truth I want you to go home oh, go home with. The greatest delight you can ever have is the Holy Spirit filling you. When you truly believe that is true to the point that you're willing to pursue it above all else, that's when you'll find satisfaction. That's when you'll sit back and go, wow, I had no idea. God loved me this much. God saw me this way. God would do these things in and through me. That God's plan for me was absolutely perfect and beautiful, even though there were parts of it I didn't understand. 
you will have a sense of delight and of expectation that will permeate everything about your life. But you have to believe that it is true. Too often we're distracted either by desire or by duty. For many folks, duty, this sense of not being able to measure up keeps us from truly experiencing intimacy with God because we always think we have to do more. Let me make it very, very clear. Jesus Christ is not a do more God. Jesus Christ is a it is finished God. He declared that on the cross. Condemnation was done. He took care of the penalty of sin. There is absolutely no way we can pay him back. But that's not all he did. He didn't just save us from our sin. He welcomes us into his family and desires to fill us with himself, with his Holy Spirit. That's why it says in Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God wants to fill you with his presence. Do you believe it? And do you desire it? Is he your greatest delight? Is he what you desire more than anything else? Now, what the Holy Spirit will do is bring conviction. He'll reveal within us that which is keeping us from experiencing more intimacy with God. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not condemnation. It is to utterly convince us of what Jesus has already done and of who we are now in him so that we can live out of our new identity. We're to feed our new life in Christ. We're to nurture ourselves based upon God's word, on his truth, so that we can dis- Discover the fullness of being truly filled, being truly intimate with God's presence, with his power, with his control, with his love. And being filled with the Spirit of God is not necessarily like being filled as it were a container. It is an aspect of saying God, I'm yours. In fact, that word filled, when you look at it in the original language, the way that it was used in Greek most often was meant to man a ship in order to have all the crew in place in exactly the right places so that the ship could could unfurl its sails so that the rudder could be set so that it would propel itself forward by the power of the wind. To be filled means that, God, I want you to take so much control of my life that you are guiding and directing every detail so that I can be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit and you move me forward to become who you want me to be and to do what you want me to do. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, is that God takes up control. And in the same time that he does that, 
He fills us with delight in his presence because the God of the universe likes you. He wants to be with you. He created you to be filled. He created you with this need because he wants to fill it because he wants you to be so close to him that you're experiencing that intimacy on a continual basis. Isn't that cool? Thank you. God is good. All right. So, what is our delight? What are the things that we truly find the most pleasure in? If you've not tasted and seen that the Lord truly is good, my challenge for you today is to delight in him. To take out your piece of chocolate, if you haven't already eaten it, and taste it. Because God tastes so much better. He is so much more amazing than you can ever, ever imagine. There is a delight in being filled with God's fullness. The fullness of the Holy Spirit always leads to joy. That's why we read in Romans 14, 7, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. God wants to fill you with his joy. And that's why he tells us in the same way in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God wants the very best for you. He doesn't want to give you cheap, cheesy, won't last, flaffuccino. He wants to give you that which will satisfy, that which will fill you, that which your soul hungers for is found in him, in delighting in him. But it only comes when he truly is our greatest delight. So how do we do that? I'm gonna try to be just as practical as possible. Is how do we begin to really delight in God? Maybe that just seems strange to you. It just seems like a list of things we have to do. Well, the way that you learn to delight in God is the same way that you learn to delight in any other person. God is a person. He has a personality. He wants to relate to you and relate to me. The way that you grow closer to a person is really simple. You have to spend time with them. You have to take an interest in them. You have to be with them. And the more that you spend time with the Lord, the deeper your intimacy with him will become. So here's some, here's some ideas of some ways to connect. Really simple. Number one, have tea or coffee with God this week. You're going, what? <laughs> huh? How can I do that? Here's the deal. All you got to do, pick a time, put it in your diary, put it in your calendar, put it in your phone, and say, mm, tomorrow at 9 a.m., I got a little bit of time, I'm going to go to Costa, because I don't really like Starbucks, so I'm going to go to Costa, and I'm going to order the best coffee that they have there with all kinds of other stuff mixed in it so it doesn't taste like coffee anymore, lots of cream and lots of chocolate and everything else I can pile on top of there, and I'm going to sit down, and, and maybe I'll buy two cups, maybe, because I'm going to put one over there for God, even though he's not going to drink it, but I'm going to spend time with him, and I might drink his. I don't know. But here's the deal. I'm choosing to spend time with him. I'm being intentional about time with the Lord. It's not weird. 
It's intentional. And you take his word, and, and I'll read it, whether it's off your phone or you take your Bible with you, and I want to hear, so I want to hear something that you want to say to me, and I want to tell you some things that are on my heart. And so this time that we're sitting down together, I want it to make it, I want to make it relational with you, just like I, if I was sitting with my best friend for coffee or tea. And I don't care if the people around me think I'm weird because my lips are moving and they're not hearing anything. It's not about them. It's about you and God. And if, if you want to do it at home, that's fine too. But choose a time and be with God, just the two of you. Be intimate with him. Talk to God also throughout the day, silently in your heart. Have a conversation where you're recognizing he is with you right here, right now. Go on a nature walk in the evening. Go to one of the great parks that are here and marvel at his creation. Breathe in the air deeply and thoroughly and find refreshment in what he's created and tell him about it. Describe what you see. Because when we see the beauty and the wonder of God's creation, it will point us to the fact that the creator who made it is even more amazing. And if he can make the beauty of a sunset resplendent in color, he can fulfill your deepest desires as well. Because he does that just because that's who he is. Allow him to surprise you. If coffee's not your thing, go have lunch. Go to a restaurant with God. Have a meal together. I know it sounds weird. It really isn't. It's about being intentional. It's about stepping out and saying, Lord, I want to spend time with you. I want to connect with you. Pick your favorite activity, whatever it is. Golf or swimming or running or lifting weights, playing guitar, whatever it is. Do it, but do it with God. Make him a part of it so you're connecting with him. Get a journal. Write out your thoughts to the Lord and listen to what he's saying back to you. Seek to know the deepest parts of God's heart and share the deepest parts of yourself, of your soul with him as well. Francis Chan has a great, great illustration in saying, he said, uh, one time he he said, if you take a, a soda can and you go out into the middle of the ocean and you fill that can with ocean water, that's about how much of the greatness of God we truly can experience because there's a full ocean more of him to know. He's so much bigger. There's so much more for us to discover. But it only happens if we delight in him. If we're content pursuing all the other stuff instead of him, he's never going to be the delight of our heart. So look for ways that you can spend time with the Lord. Ask the Lord what his plans are for you and then obey what he tells you to do. Tell God your hopes, your dreams, your struggles, your ideals, your fears, your failures. And seek to find out what brings joy to his heart. Here's what's so important. I, I read this, um, Joe Silby posted this the other day, and it's so true. God is not what you think he is. 
God is who he says he is. God is not who you think he is. God is who he says he is. If I'm not exploring God's word to discover who he says he is, then my perspective of God is going to be off. And I'm missing something about who he truly is. And and therefore, I want to make sure that I correct my vision based not on what I think, but on what he says. And that only happens when we spend time in his word and time with him in prayer and in connection. Now, let me try to make it a little little more practical. Um, I have, oh, I totally forgot this. Yeah, somewhere is a, talk amongst yourselves. Talk to God right now. Okay. Um, Would you pass these out? Because I totally forgot that. What I want to do is I just want to give you um, a little insert for you to take on ways that have helped me learn to delight in the Lord. And and there's five different aspects of learning to delight in the Lord. And um, you may work differently and you may have some really cool ideas. Share those with me and we'll share them with the congregation. But this is one of the things that helps me. And that's why it's alliterated, because I can only think in terms of things that are alliterated. So I start with this, delight in appreciation for God's goodness. Appreciate what God has done. It's really simple. I simply look for the things that God has done, and I express gratitude and thankfulness for God's goodness to us. One of of the things I've discovered lately I've, ch- I've changed the way I pray about meals. I, I thank the Lord for them. Um, I always have. But now I thank him for the, for the um, differences in taste. If I'm having Indian food, I'm thanking him for the way it tastes and the contrast of, uh, of how that, of the textures that go in my, my mouth, the variety that it created. Because it's wonderful. You know, and it, and it doesn't matter what kind of food it is, there's a delight in, in those things that he made. Those are all the reflection of his goodness because he's the one who created it. He's the greatest chef in all of the universe because he created all the ingredients and he knows how to put them all together. But I'm looking for ways to express gratitude and thankfulness to God. And if worship, because ultimately what this is, delighting in God is worship. If that's, if that's difficult for you, this is the place to begin. It, you begin with thankfulness, looking for things that God has done and given to you that you can express back to him. Appreciate what he has done. And then build upon that. Not only do we delight in appreciation for his goodness, but we want to build on that and delight in admiration of God's beauty, character, and attributes. Begin to think about who God is himself, not just the gifts that he gives us, but what he is like. Think about how God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to experience all that we go through. Allow yourself to to admire the wonder of a God who's that interested in us. Because this step brings us a greater realization of who God really is. We are beginning to experience God not as a concept, not as words on a page, but as a person who has a great interest in us. 
who is beautiful, who is amazing. Think of the beauty of the, of the things that he has made. Meditate on the beauty of his love as revealed in his word and especially as revealed through Jesus Christ. When we begin to think of God more often, we'll have a greater desire to please him, a greater delight in him. The same way when you eat chocolate, you want more chocolate, right? It works exactly the same with God. But if you don't taste it and keep tasting it, that desire will not develop in your heart. We need to look at God's word from the perspective of this is his message to us. This is his love letters to you and I. And so we want to begin to see what his word tells us about God himself, about his attributes. What are the character traits of God? What is he like? He is wisdom. He is knowledge. He is understanding. We understand his sovereignty. We we think about what God is like. And and, and a great way to do that is to look through your scripture and look for names of God. The way he's revealed himself to us, he uses his names in the scripture to help us understand more of who he is so that we can follow him and delight in him. When God says, I am your provider, Jehovah Jireh, what he wants us to understand and to know is that everything comes from him. He is the, the source. He is the one we can trust and turn to for everything. When we discover his name where it says the Lord, our righteousness, we want to understand that the Lord has chosen to give his righteousness to us. You see, when we begin to look at those names, not just read through them as we're trying to get to the end of a chapter or end of a passage, but we meditate on what it says, it's going to show us more of who God is as a person so we can delight in him. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes as you read the Bible so you can behold the magnificence of who God is. Look at his promises. Look at the way that God has committed himself to us. His promises are amazing, and they're a delight, but we have to choose to look at them. So we move from appreciation to admiration to finally to to the third one is awe. Have you ever been in awe of God? If there's a famine in our world and in the church, I believe it is this. Far too few people have truly been in awe, overwhelmed with who God is. But think back through this scripture. Think about all those that we read about who experienced awe in the presence of God. Abraham fell on his face in awe as God spoke to him. At the burning bush, Moses hid his face in fear as he was in the presence of God. Isaiah cried out, woe is me for I am undone, I am ruined when his eyes beheld the Lord God Almighty. Ezekiel fell on his face when he saw a vision of the God Most High. Mary Magdalene washed the Lord's feet with her hair because her heart so overflowed with love. Paul became so enthralled by the presence of God that at one point he didn't even know if he was in his body or out of his body because he was so overwhelmed by what God was showing him. 
Now, here's, here's the thing. Most of us, the, the place where, the reason we don't have awe is because we think that's only for a few. God's command in this passage in Ephesians is be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a command to every believer. He wants to fill every believer with the fullness of who he is. So yes, he wants you to experience awe at who he is. But do you believe it? When we reach this kind of delight in God, we have truly an intimacy with God that the only word to use to describe it is awesome because we know we've been in his presence. We've been overwhelmed by who he is. The fourth one is is even deeper. It's delight in adoration. In love, loving God as a person. And I give you some scriptures there that can help you see God as a person to draw you into greater intimacy with him. So I want to encourage you to to maybe use this as a beginning point to, to look for ways that you can grow in delighting in God. But all of these will be limited by the fifth one, abandonment. You see, we'll only experience as much of God as we're willing to release of ourselves. That's why Jesus said it so powerfully. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we deny ourselves, we can delight in God. When life becomes no longer about me, but all about him, he can become my delight. And then we discover, as Jesus taught in his parables of the kingdom in the middle of Matthew chapter 13, where he says, first of all, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. We find that the treasure that we discover when we abandon self and choose to delight is God. And his next illustration is the same where he says a pearl of great price. A a man went and sold everything else so that he could obtain this pearl. That is God delighting in him. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to delight in God. He has to become the greatest desire of your life. Next week, we'll look more specifically about how we are filled, but we'll not be able to practice the how if we don't truly desire him. So, Father God, I I ask that you would become our delight, both as individuals and as a people, or that we would want you more than all the other things of this life, of this world. Lord, would you enable people right where they are today to taste and see that you are good? Lord, prompt them to step out of their comfort zone and and simply call on you. If If they've never come to a point where they've trusted you as Savior, Lord, I pray that today they would call on the name of Jesus and simply say, Jesus, I wanna know you. I need you. Would you save me? Would you come into me? Lord, for others that have known you for a while, but 
There's a battle inside. Either their view of you is, is one of duty or there's a conflict in their desires. Lord, would you enable them today to taste and see just how good you are? Lord, we want more of you. So Lord, I ask that you would speak into the heart and mind of each person here and you would call people to yourself for your honor and your glory. Thank you in advance for what you are gonna do in us, both individually and collectively. In Jesus' name.